following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount today uh, by looking at verses 33 through 37. Matthew 5, verse 33. So let's go ahead and read the passage. It says there, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Well, this morning we come to the fourth of six paragraphs here at the end of Matthew 5, where Jesus takes up some demand of the Old Testament law, and he deepens the demand of the law, but also in the process he confronts some sort of abuse or some sort of misunderstanding that was common in his day. And so um, the first three of these paragraphs have have been very powerful paragraphs, haven't they? And uh, very convicting. Uh, Jesus does a a wonderful job uh, of confronting uh, an issue of his day. But I think we would all agree that he also goes after us really well. I mean, after all, uh, anger, lust, and divorce, the three issues that we've looked at thus far, are big problems in our day, just as they were in Jesus' day. And, um, and so there's no way that we would say that, that verses 21 through 33 have been irrelevant to our culture. And the same is true of this passage, this paragraph we're in today, verses 33 through 37, where Jesus is going to confront the issue of dishonesty. Do we have an honesty problem in our culture today? Now, you better believe it. We live in a very dishonest society, and we live in a day where where people place hardly any value at all on being honest, truthful, being people of integrity. You see it all the time that that people bend and and manipulate the truth to fit what they want it to be, and and they do so without even batting an eye. You know, just uh, this week, as, as a recent example, I was... We were still uh, in, in Illinois with my parents. I was watching the news with my dad on Wednesday morning, and, and uh, the president got on, and he was talking about uh, the CDC um, having this, this, the, the moratorium on evictions. And, uh, and it was fascinating that, that he openly said that we probably don't have the constitutional authority to do this. But, but that's okay, because we're going to help a lot of people And the lawyers will be able to hold up the litigation long enough to help people who are in need. And it was was incredible to to hear him say that and and to have someone who who took an oath to defend and uphold the Constitution say openly, we're not going to follow the the laws that are in place. And, And it was stunning to hear him say it. You know, not just because he said it, but also because his assumption is, is that most people are going to say that's perfectly justifiable. That, that as long as we get what we want, 
it doesn't really matter that we are truthful and that we are honest and, and uphold the things that we have committed to. So most people believe that honesty and standing by your word are a small price to pay if you get what you want. So, so there is absolutely a crisis of dishonesty in our culture. And truth has become a matter of perspective rather than an objective reality. So, so you can twist the, tr- twist the truth to mean whatever you want it to mean, and, and, and that's okay. And, and sadly, Christians are not immune to that influence. Very often, Christians are not much better than the world at, at being honest, at following through with the commitments that they make, and being true to their word. So, so we need this text. And, and so notice, first of all, in verse 33 that the law required faithfulness to oaths. So, so to begin with, now, now to understand this passage, it really is important uh, that we begin by understanding how the ancient peoples of the world understood vows. So, so we don't take oaths all that often or, or make vows all that often, uh, but, but in the ancient world, they, they were uh, probably a much more frequent part of life. And so And so what they would commonly do is they would take an oath in the name of some type of greater power, typically a god. You know, so so a Philistine or an Egyptian would swear by one of their gods. And by doing so, they were calling on that god to to stand as their witness and and ultimately, potentially, to judge them if, if they failed to follow through with their commitment. So when an Israelite swore an oath in the name of God, They were calling on God as their legal witness, and they were calling on God to judge them if they failed to follow through with that oath. So an oath was a very serious, very solemn statement. And as a result, the law warned Israel to be very cautious about taking oaths. So again, verse 33, Jesus cites that. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, speaking of the wilderness generation. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now, now, now that verse does not specifically quote any one statement from the law, but, but it does uh, summarize well uh, what the law taught. So, so God permitted Israel to take vows in his name, but he demanded that if you take a vow, you better keep it. So for example, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do, excuse me, do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So God expected Israel that if they made a vow that they needed to keep it, they needed to stand by their word. And and that was especially true if they made a vow in God's name. So Leviticus 19, verse 12 says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God, of the Lord, uh, the name of your God. I am the Lord. So, So God there warns that if you break a vow in God's name, not only are you dishonoring yourself, you are also dishonoring, you are blaspheming God's name. So, so God is clear. That, that, that these are a big deal. So, so here in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds his disciples that when they make a vow, God expects them to keep it. 
And, and, and that's so simple. But, but, but again, it's something that we can't take for granted in our day. And I want to emphasize that this was so even when life took an unexpected turn and keeping a vow became difficult. Now, Psalm 15, verse 1, asks an important question. It asks, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? So, so in other words, who is the one that pleases the Lord? Who is the one that is worthy to approach the Lord in worship? And in the passage, the psalm gives several answers, but among them, he says in verse 4 that God highly favors the one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now that's a good word for our day, isn't it? Because it's true when you take your marriage vows. It's true when you make a legal statement under oath. It's true when you sign a contract. It's true to a lesser extent with other commitments that you make in your life. That you should highly value your word. And you need to be willing to keep your word, even if it comes at great personal cost. And that's because God's instructions regarding oaths are rooted in God's value of truthfulness in general. God values the truth. In fact, the ninth commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So so God demands honesty. It's one of the primary ethical demands that, that He lays out in the Ten Commandments. And I think we need to park here for a minute because, because our society wants to believe that all truth is relative. You know, and that you can and we can all have our own self-serving version of the truth. So so your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and, and, and none of it is 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 objective and, and clear. And as a result, we couldn't care less about keeping, you know, being honest and truthful. Because truth can be manipulated to be whatever you want it to be. But our God is a God of truth. But our God is even sovereign over the truth. There is no such thing as your version of the truth. Because we live in a universe ruled by a sovereign God. So there is one truth, and it is objective. And as a result, Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17 declare that, among other things, God hates a lying tongue. It says it is an abomination to Him. And instead, Psalm 51, verse 6 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So David says in his confession there of his sin that God loves a sincere heart that is ruthlessly committed to honesty. So so even if it's true that that no one else may care that you are a person of your word, and and if you are a man or a woman of your word, you will very likely get mocked. You know, something comes up and, and you stand by your word at great personal cost and, you know, your co-workers may say like, man, you know, just, just tell a lie. Like, why are you making your life difficult by being honest right now? And that may be true in the world at large, but God delights in an honest person. He delights in people who are true to their word. And, and furthermore, 
And I'll add this, that, that yes, being true to your word is oftentimes very costly and very inconvenient in the short term. You know, it can be embarrassing to tell the truth. You know, when you're a kid and mom says, did you break that? Telling the truth can be very costly and painful at times. But ultimately, we need to understand that, that while telling the truth, being honest in the short term is often costly, the truth is ultimately a grace that, that serves our relationships and serves society in general well. Yeah, because I think we all understand that, that any strong relationship has to be built on, on the truth and, and on trustworthiness. That you can't have a healthy marriage. You can't have a healthy family. We can't be a healthy church. You can't have a healthy workplace if there is not some foundation of honesty and trust. You know, a society cannot be healthy without some level of, of trust and and honesty that's shared among the people in, it, in that society. So, so dishonesty tears apart every type of relationship. It's destructive. And, and it destroys not just relationships, but all the blessings that strong relationships bring. But on the other hand, when there is mutual trust that is rooted in a consistent pattern of truthfulness, it provides a strong foundation that allows relationships to thrive. So, so yes, honesty is often costly in the short term. You know, if you are true to your word, you speak truthfully, it might make your life difficult right now. But, but, but being truthful is one of the ways that you love your neighbor. I mean, after all, the fifth through the tenth commandment are, are all rooted in this idea of loving your neighbor. So, so one of the ways you love your neighbor is by being truthful. And, and as well, when we are truthful, we can enjoy the long-term fruits of healthy relationships. So, so trust is a wonderful grace. A wonderful grace. It's not something that we should avoid or be ashamed of. And it has benefits for everyone. So, so verse 33 reviews a basic ethical principle of the law. God requires faithfulness to oaths because God requires honesty in general. And then Jesus follows in verses 34 through 36 by condemning a way that his contemporaries uh, sort of slithered around God's demands. So, so second, Jesus condemns deceitful words. Let's go ahead and read again verses 34 through 36. So he says there, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, now these verses might strike you as a bit confusing, odd, and frankly, you might even wonder if they contradict what you see in the rest of Scripture. After all, Jesus here seems to be saying that taking any sort of oath at all is bad. But we see in Scripture that God take, takes oaths, and all sorts of other biblical characters do as well. So, so is Jesus here contradicting the pattern of his own father? Well, of course, that's not the case. And that point becomes abundantly clear when you understand Jesus' instructions here in light of a contemporary issue in Jesus' day. So, so keep your finger here and turn over to Matthew 23. All right, Matthew 23. And uh, Jesus here... 
uh, says a little bit more about this issue of oaths and, and how they were being abused in, 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 his, uh, in his time, in his generation. So Matthew chapter 23, uh, this is the chapter where Jesus is just roasting the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says in verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, um, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it, and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits on it. So, so in these verses, what Jesus does is he goes after a sleazy practice that, that had evolved within Judaism. And, and so specifically, the Jews had developed what, what you could call is a tiered system of vows. So, you know, so, so they had things uh, that they said were, were of lesser value. So if you made a vow by something lesser, it wasn't as big of a deal as, you, as if you made a vow by something greater. So so, for example, uh, you can see here uh, that, that they, they believed that swearing by the temple was not as big of a deal as swearing by the gold in the temple. Now, Jesus mentions as well that, that they thought that swearing by the altar in the temple was not as serious as swearing by the gift on the altar. And, and on and on it goes. In our text, Jesus mentions uh, several other lesser vows that that the Jews would swear by heaven, or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or, or by their own head. And, and they thought that, that since all of these things in their minds were less significant than God himself, that, that those vows were less binding and the consequences of them were less significant. And, and really, what, what all of this was, is it was a way for the Jews to have their cake and eat it too, so to speak. You know, that they could make a vow, and they could sound really impressive in making this vow to someone. You you could say, you know, I swear by the altar in Jerusalem that I will pay you this money. And someone would think, wow, he swore by the altar. That's pretty impressive. So he's going to pay, and I'm going to get what I need. And and so it was a way to convince people to believe them. But but then they believed that, that they're really, because the altar is not that big of a deal, you know, that, that if, I, if, I, if it works out that I really don't want to keep the vow or it becomes too costly, then I can just kind of scurry along and not have to worry uh, about breaking my vow. You know, it's sort of like, you know, when kids, you know, make a promise. They cross their fingers behind their back and, you know, and think that somehow crossing their fingers means that they can lie freely and, and it's okay. And um, so it was a way to sound convincing while manipulating the situation to your own benefit. And and frankly, it's just simply dishonest, right? And and yet the Jews embraced this entire system of of tiered vows, and and in fact, there was a whole tract to the the Jewish Mishnah, which was uh, religious writings that was dedicated to explaining this whole system and all the loopholes uh, that were built into the system. 
So, so, so yes, all right, the Jews would have agreed with, with Leviticus 19.12, which we read earlier, that if you make a vow in God's name, you absolutely have to keep it. But if it was a lesser vow, then eh, it could get slippery really, really fast. But, but here in, in our text, returning to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus obliterates the whole system. And first, Jesus argues that, I don't know if this is, there we go, that breaking an oath in God, against anything God created is an offense against God himself. Now, now this is a fast, Jesus makes a fascinating argument here. Because like we so often want to do, we, we want to break up life into neat little compartments. You know, where, where like God's name obviously belongs to God, and that's really important. But my head, that's mine. And my body is mine, and, and my things are mine. So, so we want life to be broken up into these neat little compartments where some things belong to God and, and other things belong to us, and, and they're not all that significant. So, so the Jews believed that they were free to manipulate certain things according to their purpose. You know, they knew they couldn't manipulate God's name because God's name is His. But I can manipulate my head. But, but notice how Jesus points out the fallacy in this whole system. Heaven, he says, is God's throne. Earth is His footstool. And so he says you can't separate the creation from the Creator. And an attempt to manipulate God's creation, he's saying here, is an attempt to manipulate God himself. And, and he makes a similar point about Jerusalem. You know, the Jews thought, well, well, hey, if I swear against Jerusalem and it's failed, well, that's less than swearing against God. But Jesus says, but guys, remember that Jerusalem is the city of the great king. In other words, that's where Messiah is going to reign. Jerusalem belongs to God. You can't, you can't separate Jerusalem from God himself. But an Israelite may counter, well, but fair enough, but my body belongs to me. And I am in control of my body. So I have the authority to swear by my head, and, and it's going to be perfectly fine. But Jesus here responds that we aren't even sovereign over our bodies. You don't make your hair grow. You know, some of you with thinner heads or thinner hair on top would wish more hair would grow, but you can't control it. Now, now some of you do dye your hair, right? So, so you have, you know, changed the, your hair from white to black, all right? But in the true sense, you can't change the, the color of your hair. God is sovereign over the color of your hair even. And Jesus here really is making just a fascinating argument. Because fundamentally, he is pointing out that you can't claim sovereignty over one square inch of your life, or even of your life itself. Everything belongs to God, and so we must honor him with all of it. So therefore, any effort to manipulate part of God's creation contrary to his will is an attack against God himself. So I'm not free to bend the truth, or, or any of God's law according to my will. No, in every part of your life, you must live under the Lordship of Christ. He is your Creator and Lord, and all of it belongs to Him. 
And there are a lot of implications to what Jesus is saying in these verses. But for today, we need to stay focused on the main one here, which is that I am not free to bend the truth. I am not free to manipulate my speech in a way that serves myself. No, I must submit to his lordship. And as a result, Jesus then calls them to put away manipulative oaths. Put away manipulative oaths. Now, now I want to be up front here and say that Jesus here is not condemning all oaths in general. Because we know this, because God himself makes oaths. God makes oaths to Noah. He makes oaths to Abraham, uh, to David, and and other people in Scripture. And, And even after Jesus said these things in the Sermon on the Mount, the apostles took oaths. So so Paul takes oaths. He mentions that in Scripture. And in Acts chapter 21, uh, the apostles mentioned the fact that that several people in the church there at Jerusalem had taken a vow to the Lord, and and they mention it positively. They don't say it in any sort of condemning fashion. So, So if the apostles did not understand Jesus to be condemning all oaths, then neither should we. All right, so, so there's nothing wrong with taking a wedding vow. There's nothing wrong with swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in court. There's nothing wrong with signing a legal document or, or making any other uh, type of vow. So, so Jesus here is not condemning all vows. No, instead, he is specifically condemning the manipulative, self-serving vows that were in vogue during his day. As verse 33 says, he is condemning swearing falsely. When we either have no intent from the beginning to keep the vow, or or we are willing to compromise it if it becomes too costly. And then really, to broaden out further, Jesus is condemning all flippancy with the truth and with the commitments that we make. Jesus expects his people to be honest and to stand by our word. And then finally, He closes the text by calling his disciples uh, to replace this this ridiculously complex system of making vows with a system of simple commitment to truthfulness. So look at what he says in verse 37. What's the solution to all this? He says, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, this verse is is a wonderful verse for its simplicity, all right? So so think of it this way. Why is it that we even have oaths? Why do we have legal contracts? Why do we have penalties for things like perjury or or for contractual breaches? Well, the simple answer is, is that in a world of sin, someone's word is not enough, right? So if all those penalties weren't in place then there would be a whole lot more dishonesty than there already is. Think about that. And as honesty becomes more and more optional, so to speak, in our culture, the world of contracts and terms and conditions and all that stuff has just grown bigger and bigger, right? I mean, like, you know, when you, you, know, you bought a house or something, I mean, it's like crazy. I mean, you know, things you have to sign and this and that and uh, all these other things. You know, we, and, and lawyers have, have made a lot of money, Right? writing all that fine print and and putting it all in place uh, because a handshake or a promise is not enough, unfortunately, in the world in which we live. And the same was true in Jesus' day. I mean, our culture is not unique in that. The reason the Jews had this complex system of vows 
was because they didn't value honesty. And, and, and they couldn't be trusted to keep their word. So what's the solution? I mean, how, do we, how do we get away from that? Well, well, Jesus says, the simple answer is, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So tell the truth every time you speak. And if you make a promise, keep it. And if you do those things consistently, people will trust you. And they will have no reason to demand more from you than your word. And, um, and if the entire community is committed to that kind of honesty, then we don't need more from other people either. You know, and we know that, right? I mean, you know, if you have a mechanic that you're not quite sure about, you're going to push on him a little bit more than a guy that you know he's not going to take advantage of you. You know that with your kids. You might have, you know, one kid that, that you know, this kid's going to tell me the truth. This one, he tends to bend the details. And it affects how you parent. And so if, if we are people who are committed to truth-telling, then, then we don't need legal contracts. We don't need all this other stuff. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Now, I don't think there's any hope to returning to a world where, where you could buy a house with a handshake or, or anything like that. But, but that's how it's going to be in heaven. You know, think about the fact there won't be a need for contracts and legal documents and oaths in heaven because what we say will be true. And it will always be true. So, so let your yes be yes and your no be no. So, so I'd like to follow this with, with just three implications of what Jesus says. And, and let's get specific uh, with the application here. There we go. And uh, first of all, I want to challenge you to value accuracy and truth. As I said earlier, God is a God of truth. And he demands the same from his people. And in fact, truthfulness is so important to God that he includes it in the Ten Commandments. So this is not like way down the list of things that matter to him. It is right there at the top. So truthfulness, folks, is foundational to the biblical ethic and to how we please the Lord. And if truth is that important to God, it ought to be that important to you. Now, I know that sounds very simple. You know, tell the truth. I learned that in kindergarten, or probably before that. But, but it's amazing. I mean, even among Christians, how often we are loose with the truth, loose with our commitments, and loose with the promises that we make. You know, I mean, I, you know Christians are just as bad as anyone sometimes at sensationalizing stories and situations. And we're not careful to be accurate and truthful with details. Now, I mean, there's been many times, you know, I, and I'm, I'm a little bit anal about this sort of thing because of just how the Lord wired me. You know, but when I'm listening to someone tell a story that I already know, and they're telling people this story, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, Ugh, that's not right. Or, ooh, you, you bent that detail. Or, ooh, you made this a little bigger to fit what you want. And it happens all the time, folks, that, that we, we do not value accuracy. We do not value truth enough. And we're more interested in just sharing what we feel than, than we are about really being true to reality. Or, or maybe, you know, you, you find yourself 
always feeling the need to convince people that you are telling the truth. And you're saying, I swear, or I promise, all the time. Because you sense the fact that people aren't quite convinced that what you're saying is true. How do you correct that? By consistently living a life of truth-telling. When you tell a story, and then people check it out, the details match every single time. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Instead of piling up, I promise, I swear, all those other things, just focus on earning a reputation of truthfulness and accuracy. And so, and so when you speak, you know, learn to just slow down and speak accurately. You know, when, when you are tempted to distort the truth, to, to, to make your life a little bit easier or, or, to, or to solve a problem, then, then, then resist the temptation and, and be willing to speak the truth no matter the cost. Now, it may cost you in the short term. You, know, you might be able to avoid a lot of, of trouble and, and issues by just you know, manipulating this little thing here. But in the long run, it will serve you well. And it will serve your relationships well. And, and more than anything else, it will earn the smile of God. So value accuracy and truth. Secondly, only promise what you can deliver. You know, one of the biggest challenges of, of working with people and, and of being in leadership is, is the fact that, that people oftentimes can be very flaky. And, um, and, 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 and so they commit to things, and then they don't do them. Or they only do them halfway. You know, and so, so there's people, you know, they've got big dreams and they're excited to go after all their dreams and, and they make all sorts of commitments, but they don't take the time to count the cost. Really think through the situation and make well thought out commitments. Or when things get tough, life gets busy, they just bail and all of a sudden they're not there to do the thing that they said they would do. Now, 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 I want to be clear here that I really appreciate people who are eager to jump in and get things done. You know, there's no glory in being the guy that, you know, moans and groans about every request and always has an excuse why you can't do anything, all right? So, so the point here is not to say don't make commitments. So there's a balance, all right? So, so be someone who loves to serve people, loves to jump in and get things done, whether at the church, at work, or at home. But, but also be someone who is intentional about your time and take commitments seriously. I mean, make sure up front that your yes really is a yes or your no really is a no. So be someone who only promises what you can deliver. And then third, deliver on your promise. You know, and again, here, one of the most challenging aspects of working with people is people who fail to fulfill commitments. You know, and if you've supervised people at work, in a ministry, or at home, I mean, certainly this has come up if you've got kids. You know, that people have all sorts of excuses why things didn't get done. You know, I got busy. I forgot. Or, or on and on it goes. And, 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 you know, sometimes you feel bad for people, right? Like, wow, you know, something really did come up, and it did get hard, and, and you feel bad for that. But, you know, the fact that something came up does not change the fact that you made a commitment. 
And yes, most of society would say, well, hey, something came up, oh well, go on with your life. But that's not what the scriptures teach. And I do want to say this too, that there are times where you need to back out of a commitment. There are times when providence means that you can't do what you thought you would be able to do. And when that happens, it's important that you handle it rightly. But Christians should be people who deliver on their promises. So be the man or woman that verse 37 describes. When you say yes, no one has any reason to doubt that it's going to get done. You know, it's such a blessing, isn't it? You know, when you hand something off to a certain individual, and you know, I don't have to worry about it. So-and-so always gets it done, and they always get it done right. When they make a commitment, you know it's going to happen. So be that kind of person. And when you say no, be someone that no one has any reason to doubt you. Be someone who is so committed to your word that others would know you as someone who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And I want to add this too. It's, isn't it interesting that this passage directly follows Jesus' admonition regarding divorce? Now, I can't think of a more glaring example in our culture and from how our culture has drifted from what Jesus is teaching here than no-fault divorce. You know, where, where for any reason at all, without any explanation at all, you can just walk away from your marriage vows. But folks, marriage vows are vows. And when you say yes to a husband or wife, you know, for those of you who are married, when you say yes, make sure that you say yes with the intention to be together for a lifetime, committed to your word. And if you're struggling through a difficult marriage and, and the world, you know, the world's going to tell you, just run, do what makes you happy. But don't forget that you made a vow. So stand by it. And trust the, that the Lord will satisfy your heart in a way that no person, no relationship, or the lack of a relationship ever could. God is sufficient. And with all this, folks, I mean, Jesus is demanding a lot from us, isn't he? Now, honesty is hard. It's costly at times. But what a blessing it is to know that Jesus always gives us the grace to do what he has called us to do. And he's not just telling you here to do something that's impossible and waiting to watch you fail. There is grace in Christ to be a person of honesty and truth. And then finally, I, mean, I am so thankful that we live in a world that is governed by a God of truth. Aren't you? That, that when God says something, we know it's true. You know that God's not the politician that manipulates and bends and twists the truth to mean what he wants it to mean. When God makes a promise, he fulfills it. And when God speaks to us in his word, his word is truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, your word is truth. That means then that if you are in Christ, you have received Christ as your Savior that, that, that your hope for salvation is absolutely secure because God is not going to, at the last minute, be like, well, here's how I spun your, you know, this promise in Scripture. No, our salvation is secure because God is a God of truth. And if you are not saved, 
then I hope that you will understand that you don't have to live your life in doubt. You, you don't have to look at God like, like you do that manipulative guy at work. No, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, there is no wishy-washiness in God's promise in that passage. If someone believes in Christ for salvation, they will not perish. They will have eternal life. And so it might be that you can't trust anyone around you, but you can trust the Lord. And you can stake your life today and for all of eternity on the fact that God will keep his promises of redemption and salvation. We're going to talk about that more tonight. And if you have not received Christ as your Savior, I hope that you will do so today. That you will seek answers and leave knowing that your life is rooted in a God of truth. And if you are a Christian, commit to being a person of truth yourself. Only promise what you can deliver and then deliver on your promise. Father, we praise you today that you are a God of truth. That, Lord, you do not change. Your promises do not change. Everything that you said is, have said is firm and that we can absolutely bank on you and trust in you. And Lord, I pray for any who are here today that have not received Christ as their Savior. God, I pray that today they would receive him and be born again. And Lord, I pray for those of us that know you as Savior, that Lord, we would commit uh, to be people who are truthful, who are willing to swear to our own hurt and not change. And so give us grace to live out these high demands that Jesus has set before us. Lord, keep us from being influenced by the perversions and the, uh, the manipulations of our world. And Lord, help us to be ruthlessly committed to your truth and to your word. And to God, I pray that for our families, I pray for our church, that we would, we would be a people who can trust each other and do trust each other because of, our, because of a consistent testimony of faithfulness and honesty. Thank you, Lord, for this needed word. And I pray that we would live it this week. In Jesus' name, amen.